uh, I want you to think for a moment about somebody in your life who you know uh, or who you know of uh, who really loves the Lord, someone whose life revolves around God's agenda, someone you would describe as mature or Christ-like, someone uh, maybe a mentor in your life or uh, someone you look to as an example. Think of somebody like that. Um, What qualities would you say that they have? How would you describe them? Kindness, maybe? Patience? Trust in the Lord? When I think about people like that, and I've been blessed to have a number of people like that in my life um, who serve as an example to me, I think there's a fundamental quality that I observe in all of them, um, just consistently across the board. And that quality is thankfulness. I just find that to be so common to the people who love the Lord, love others, and really embody so much of what our faith is about, is they're thankful people. They live God-honoring lives, and they are, just have this gratitude that is contagious. Now, it doesn't mean that their lives are always easy, but there is a durable gratitude underneath it all. And they're thankful for what God has given them. They're thankful for their friends and their family, the food that they eat every day, the roof over their head, opportunities to serve others. Uh, They're thankful for the ministry of their church family. But they're not just thankful for tangible things that they have in life. Uh, I have found that there is a deeper thankfulness, a deeper gratitude in people's lives like this, a kind of spiritual bedrock. And what that is, is a thankfulness for what Jesus did for them on the cross. It just defines everything. And so this persistent thankfulness in their life about all things flows from that one fundamental gratitude they have for Jesus. And in our lives, when that kind of gratitude, when that kind of thankfulness takes root, it is nurtured by the Holy Spirit, and thankfulness begins to permeate all aspects of our lives. We view our work differently. We view our relationships differently. We view our money differently. We become more generous. Our church family, we think of our church family differently. We think of our futures differently. Uh, we begin, uh, as we've put it in our, one of our family values here at Real Hope, we begin to see everything through the lens of the gospel, of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, have you ever seen those glasses that they've invented recently? They're called Enchroma glasses. Um, these are amazing. They, they allow people who are colorblind to see in color when they put them on. If you need a good cry, go to YouTube and watch videos of people putting on these glasses and seeing and describing color for the first time. It's incredible. Um, I just can't even imagine what that must be like. Um, but, But I think this is a great metaphor for what it looks like for us to look at our lives through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of who Jesus is and what he did for us. And if we do that, if we really look at our lives through that primary lens, it's as if we're seeing, spiritually speaking, in color for the first time. We begin to cultivate in our own hearts a sense of gratitude and joy in life because we're looking at everything through the lens of Christ. And I think as a result, we exhibit this ever-increasing thankfulness. But how do we do that? How do we cultivate this kind of thankful heart in our lives, this gratitude? Um, I think, as with many things in our spiritual lives, it starts by just taking the step to do it, to actually express our gratitude to God. 
um, in a meaningful way, not a, a flippant way or like just a routine. I'm guilty of that, you know, just praying, God, you know, thanks for this food, thanks for this day. There's nothing wrong with praying those things. But there is a more meaningful, intentional way to express our gratitude to God, to really feel thankful for who he is and what he's done for us and express it back to him in a deeply meaningful way. Um, And I think if we do that, if we acknowledge who God is and what he has offered us, especially through Jesus, um, and we express it to him in a meaningful way, we will begin to teach our hearts to feel thankful. And it just sort of snowballs. And then the Lord will shape our lives into the form of somebody others would describe as a thankful person. So I want to explore with you today what it means to, to be a thankful person and how we can express to God our gratitude in a meaningful way. That's kind of the question we're going to be thinking about today. How should we express our thankfulness to God? And we're going to be in Psalm 118 today, which is going to help us learn the answer to this question of how we can express our thankfulness to God, but also why, why we should do this. Um, If you're not familiar with Scripture or the layout of the Bible, uh, the book of Psalms is in the Old Testament. Um, It's in kind of the middle of the Bible. So if if you have a hard copy or you want to use one of the hard copies on the tables there, uh, if you flip to about the middle, you'll get close. Uh, That's where the book of Psalms is. If you don't own a Bible and you would like to follow along in hard copy, uh, take notes, uh, we'd be happy for you to take one of those Bibles on the table home with you. That would be our gift to you. In that copy, it is on page 420, uh, Psalm 118. Uh, So last week, uh, our worship pastor Caleb started off this series. He did a wonderful job of talking about the book of Psalms that is this ancient song book, uh, songs inspired by God, curated by God for us to look at and, and, uh, and see ourselves in these psalms. Um, and there's a, a, a rich diversity among the psalms. Some, some of them are songs of lament, going through something difficult. Some are psalms of praise to God. Some are called enthronement psalms. They're meant to, to like crown God king of our lives. And then a number of psalms, including Psalm 118 that we're going to read today, are psalms of thanksgiving. That's, there's a group of psalms that are psalms of thanksgiving, speaking to God's goodness, what he's done for us, who he is. And I think in looking at Psalm 118, we're going to get a sense of what it sounds like to give thanks to God in a very meaningful way. Uh, so let's dive into Psalm 118 together. Um, it is a psalm. I don't know if you have this experience. If you've ever read the psalms, sometimes you read them and they can just sort of all start sounding the same. It's like there's some repetitive stuff, and how do I break this up? Um, so we're going to take this psalm in five uh, short parts uh, because this psalm is kind of broken into five parts, and these five parts are kind of building blocks that will give us this roadmap to expressing thankfulness to God. So part one of Psalm 118 is a declaration of God's goodness. That's how it starts out, a declaration of God's goodness. And um, it starts off like this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Highlight that phrase if you're taking uh, notes. He is good, his love endures forever. Those two phrases. Verse 2, let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. So right there, you, you see the song-like quality. Song lyrics repeat themselves. And so you're seeing that there a little bit. Um, but we're given these two reasons 
that we should be thankful to God. These fundamental reasons. He is good and his love endures forever. Those are two really big reasons to be thankful to the Lord. He is by nature good. He loves us. He wants what's best for us. And by the way, that is not a given. We can imagine a scenario where there could be a creator, God, who isn't good or doesn't love us or doesn't invite us into a relationship with him. But God is those things. He is both good and he loves us. And he told us that he loves us. He could have kept that to himself, but he didn't. And so the psalm opens up with, these are two huge reasons to give thanks. God is good, and his love is never going to run out. And then he gives these uh, three groups. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, let those who fear the Lord. These are three social groups at the time the psalmist was writing. Um, So let Israel say, that's just average Israelites at the time. Then it says, let the house of Aaron say, that's the priests, so the religious establishment. And then it says, let those who fear the Lord say this. That referred to a group of people who were not Israelites. They were from another uh, nation or culture, but they had placed their faith in the God of Israel. And so they had sort of converted and they were now part of God's people. And so the, the psalmist is saying, regardless of your background, if you're an Israelite, if you're an outsider who's become part of the people of God, if you're, you know, just sort of average person or you're like the religious elite, it doesn't matter. Whoever you are, you should be praising God for his goodness and his love. This is something we can all celebrate. And so I think this is a lesson for us. If we want to be thankful people, if we want to express our gratitude to God in a meaningful way, we've got to start by declaring his goodness and his love. Reminding ourselves of that, saying it to him, saying to him, you are good. Your love for me will never run out. I'm so thankful for that. That is a good place to start. Uh, Raise your hand if you've ever been to a musical or a ballet or an opera. All right. You may have noticed that there's often a a piece of music played at the very beginning before the actors or uh, dancers or whoever come out on the stage. It's just the orchestra, and they're just playing a song before it officially starts. Anybody know the name for that song? Overture. That's right. Look at you cultured people. I had like five people say overture. That's great. An overture. And, and an overture is really interesting because what it does often is it introduces various musical themes that you're going to see woven throughout the performance that's about to follow. It's kind of sounding notes that you're going to come back to over and over. I think that's a great way to think of the first four verses of Psalm 118 that we just read. It's like the overture to the psalm. Um, And these two bells have been rung, you know, God's love and his goodness. And we're going to see those themes woven throughout the rest of the psalm. Um, So what we just read is like the overture. Uh, But let's keep reading. The second part of Psalm 118, again, as we're thinking about how do we express our thankfulness to God, part two is a description of God's deliverance. So this is the author describing the hard times that they've been through or are currently in. Very honestly, they're describing it. And I think it's really important to pause right there and, and let that reality set in for us that expressing our struggle and pain to God is part of expressing our gratitude to him. That's allowed. That's part of it. Thankfulness does not require you to be unbothered or think everything's perfect in your life. 
And we see that here. It, thankfulness is about being thankful to God in the midst of life's challenges and, and describing the way he's worked even in our seasons of pain. And so uh, this next part is, is going to describe what the writer has been going through. Now, in these Thanksgiving Psalms, sometimes what's described is a very literal thing that's happened to the writer. Sometimes it's a little bit more figurative of just kind of what they've been feeling in life. Um, and each psalm is a little bit different. Um, but that's what we're going to see in the next few verses, uh, starting in verse 5. So let's read this. This is the description of God's deliverance. The writer says this, When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord, and he brought me into a spacious place. That term, spacious place, is a biblical metaphor for salvation. He saved me. He brought me to a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He's my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So here's the writer saying, the Lord is our true provider of security. Verse 10, all the nations surrounded me. This might be true or hyperbole or just emotional. We don't know for sure. But this is showing how serious the writer feels about this. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall. So it's this moment of just feeling hopeless, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength in my defense, he has become my salvation. And then I love this next verse. It transitions to this scene of like a battle camp after victory. Verse 15, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's hand, right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely. This is picking up the biblical idea that God disciplines those he loves. But he's not given me over to death. We'll stop there for a moment. It's a very honest section. It's an accounting of the trials this person's been going through and, and the inner turmoil of life that they've been experiencing. Uh, this is honest. This is speaking of God's presence in the midst of uncertainty and pain. This is not superficial happiness. This is not sugary sentiment. It's not pretending everything's okay. This is thankfulness so rooted in God's goodness that it can stand even in seasons of pain. There is a God-honoring way to freely express our confusion and pain and struggle to God. And Psalm 118 is giving us an example of just how that can look. So if you're wanting to sharpen your ability to express gratitude to God, start with that overture, the goodness and love of God. That's a great place to start. And then feel free to follow that with an honest detailing of the hard things in life and how you've seen God at work or the ways that you want him to work. So here's an example of how this might sound. A prayer today in the form of Psalm 118, kind of these first couple of parts might sound like this. Lord, you are so good. I know that you love me and that you're never going to stop loving me. 
God, I just feel like I am surrounded by broken relationships. No matter what I say, no matter what I do, I just seem to make things worse. My friends are blowing me off. I'm just alienating the people I care most about. They're gossiping about me. I feel worthless. I'm lonely. I'm worried about the future. But then you remind me of your goodness. You encourage me. You sent people into my life to lift me up. I opened your word, and you, Holy Spirit, reminded me of how loved I am. You showed me how to ask forgiveness and how to forgive those who hurt me. That is a Psalm 118 type of prayer. Describing God's deliverance and presence through the hard times. So those are the first kind of two parts of Psalm 118. Let's go to the next step. This is about our response to God having delivered us or been present with us. Part three is our personal worship response. This is God is good and he loves me. I've been through these hard times and he's delivered me and I'm going to worship him as a response. I am going to declare who he is. I'm going to bring glory and honor and gratitude to him. And the writer in the psalm paints this picture of himself going up to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. The temple of Solomon at the time uh, looked like this. And so it was a place where people would go, they would worship, they would bring their sacrifices. And so this is the place that the writer has in mind. Let's keep reading verse 19. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks For you answered me, you've become my salvation. So this is a personal worship response to who God is and what he's done in your life. Worshiping him. And and did you notice all the I, me, mine language? It's individual. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to worship him with my life. But this is the amazing thing about Psalm 118. It really teaches us something here. When we are expressing our gratitude and our thankfulness to God, it's not meant to be a solo act. We are meant to sing as a part of a choir of expressing our gratitude to God. And that's why we are part of the church. We corporately thank God together. And that's the next part of the psalm is part four, corporate worship response. So we individually worship God for who he is, what he's done. And then together with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, we together express our gratitude to God. And so verse 22, we're going to keep reading. Notice the we, us, our language. It shows we've moved from an individual personal worship response to a corporate worship response. Verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Highlight cornerstone if you're taking notes. This is a key to this psalm. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. Verse 23. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. In the original Hebrew, Lord, save us is Hosanna. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. So the, the writer is, is painting this beautiful picture of a parade. 
Not just individuals going up to worship God, but going up to worship together as God's people to the temple. And that's why it says, go up to the horns of the altar. That refers to the, literally the shape of the altars in ancient Israel. They had these four horns on the corner. And so horns of the altar was a shorthand to say, we're going up to the temple to worship. That we're going to bring our offering of worship. Now, we don't worship in that same way anymore. We don't worship at the temple uh, because of Christ, we are indwelled by the Spirit. We are part of the body of Christ. And so we don't have to go to a specific geographic locale where God is to go worship Him. We can worship Him here. He's here with us at this very moment. But it was this beautiful picture of this parade of God's people going to Him and saying, we're going to worship you together for who you are and show our gratitude. And I think what this teaches us when we read Psalm 118, the fact that it switches to this corporate worship part, it it shows us that to fully express our gratitude to God, to cultivate thankfulness in our heart, uh, we have to do that alongside of each other. We will miss out on something if we just sort of keep it individual and personal. We're meant to stand together. That's why when we come here together and worship on Sundays, we sing together. God is teaching our hearts something when we do this together as his people, as the church. God uses that to cultivate thankfulness in our heart. When we serve in the community together, God cultivates thankfulness in our heart. When we serve together here in our church on a team, God works through that, cultivates gratitude in our hearts. When you study God's word in a discipleship group, Bible study, God cultivates a thankful heart because we are encouraged by each other and we encourage each other in these um, teams and in these groups and when we worship together here on Sundays. You know, God gave us the church, His church, as a gift. And so by uh, participating in the church, the life of the church, the corporate life of the church, we are enjoying the gift that He gave us, and we feel thankful for it. I'll say, so many of the mentors I've had in life who have been those examples to me of gratitude and thankfulness are people that I got to know at church, in the life of the church, either serving alongside of them, worshiping alongside of them. God uses his people to encourage each other and to help in each other cultivate thankfulness. So let's look at the last two verses of the psalm. This is part five. Uh, To use musical terminology again, it's like a reprise. We are going full circle back to the overture, the beginning of the psalm, and it's a restatement of God's goodness. It's a bookend. So we started with that statement of God's goodness and love, and we've gone through these other things of, you know, uh, declaring the trials we've been through and God's deliverance, and we're worshiping, and we're worshiping together, and now we're going to close that bookend. It says this in verse 28, you are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Same phrase we saw at the beginning. So just to summarize real quickly, kind of the the movement of Psalm 118, this very meaningful expression of thankfulness to the Lord, it went in these five steps. There was that declaration of God's goodness, followed by a description of God's deliverance, walking with us through the hard times, then this personal worship response, then the corporate worship response together, and finally that restatement of God's goodness. Now, this isn't a formula, go pray these five steps every time, and if you don't, you're not really thankful. That's not what I'm trying to paint a picture here, but this is a wonderful example of the kinds of things we can be thinking about and praying about 
uh, and expressing to God as we try to let him know how thankful we are and cultivate thankfulness in our own hearts. I want to shift gears now and go back to verse 22. I had you uh, highlight that word cornerstone. Um, This word in verse 22 is a key to this psalm because we just saw kind of how the writer expresses thankfulness to God. This word is going to tell us why we give thanks. The reason to give thanks. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is such an important phrase. So the Psalms were written hundreds of years before Jesus' life. And, uh, you know, much of the Old Testament pointed forward and predicted who the Messiah would be, who Christ would end up being. And so the New Testament authors, when they wrote, were consistently referring back to, quoting back to the Old Testament. And this is really interesting. The Psalms, more than any other book in the Old Testament, were quoted by the New Testament authors. They were quoting the Psalms all the time as the basis for what they were saying about Jesus. The Psalms are quoted 80 times in the New Testament and alluded to over 300 times. So this tells us the Psalms are just full of foreshadowing about who Jesus is and what he would do. And Psalm 118, particularly this verse, was a really important one. You know, Jesus quoted this and said it was about him. And the other New Testament authors quoted this verse a lot as well. Um, Jesus is the cornerstone. It's a, it's a really um, specific and beautiful image, this cornerstone. It's, it's talking about you know, masonry construction in the ancient world. When they were going to build a building, they put a cornerstone down first. And that cornerstone was so important because when you put that down, it determines the angle of the walls that come off of it. Also, whether or not it's level will determine vertically if everything that's built off of it is going to be level. And so the cornerstone, everything else was based off of that. The whole structure was oriented around the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the most important stone. And uh, for that reason, it became a tradition through the years that when buildings are built, they'll have a a kind of a ceremony when the cornerstone is laid out of the acknowledgement, this is the most important piece of this whole structure. So for example, here's an old painting of George Washington laying the cornerstone of the U.S. Capitol building. It's like, this is an important thing, the cornerstone. Other old buildings, you'll see this, for example, the Los Angeles Public Library. That's a picture of the cornerstone. It's an acknowledgement. This is so important. Now, some of these are symbolic, uh, but, but the idea of the cornerstone is so important. And the New Testament writers were constantly pointing back to Psalm 118.22, the cornerstone, and saying, that's Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone rejected by the builders. The builders were the religious powers of his day. He was tossed into the pile of rubble, so to speak, discarded, to then be pulled from his resurrection and put not only back in the building, but become the most important stone. And uh, I want to give you a couple examples from the New Testament about how this was used. The first one's my favorite. This is when Peter, Jesus' disciple, um, is hauled in before the religious authorities, the same people who crucified Jesus. They call him in and they say, you got to stop talking about this Jesus guy or you're going to be in trouble too. And in Acts chapter 4, we read about this. And Peter is speaking to the religious authorities and he quotes Psalm 118 at them. Now look what he says. This is Peter in Acts 4. Know this, 
you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Peter had just healed a man. Jesus is, here's the quote, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Did you notice a little tweak Peter made on that quote? Jesus isn't the stone the builders rejected. He's the stone you builders rejected. He is the stone. And then he goes on, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the rejected cornerstone of Psalm 118, and the religious leaders of Jesus' day were the builders who rejected him. Psalm 118 was pointing forward. The Apostle Paul picked this up as well in Ephesians 2. He's talking about the church. Uh, Jews and Gentiles coming together into the church. And he says this, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Christ is the cornerstone of the church, Paul was saying. Uh, When I was in grad school uh, at the University of Denver, uh, this is the building I spent most of my time in. um, And uh, it was founded back in the 1800s. And back then, um, as a lot of American universities were, it was a very religious institution. Uh, By now, it's a very secular place. Um, but I always smiled when I would walk by the cornerstone of this building uh, because they etched back in the 1800s Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. That Ephesians passage, they carved right into the side of the building and I always found uh, encouragement walking by that to class. But I don't know if you've caught this from what we've read in these couple of passages. Christ is the cornerstone, but he's not the only stone. There are other stones in this metaphor. The structure is the church. We are the stones. Our whole lives of faith are oriented around the cornerstone, Jesus. And Peter puts a finer point on it in uh, 1 Peter 2. Peter says this, As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. The picture that they're painting is that Jesus is the living cornerstone. He allowed himself to be rejected, only to return as the cornerstone and invite us to being living stones with him in this beautiful structure he has built called the church. And so when we look back over Psalm 118, we can and should read it as pointing forward to Jesus. Psalm 118 gives voice to our feelings of thankfulness. It shows us how to express thankfulness to God, but it also gives us the ultimate reason for our thankfulness, Jesus the cornerstone. Knowing him, the living cornerstone, propels us into this life of gratitude. I want to close with those final two verses of Psalm 118. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever.